So and what I'm going to talk about today is Beowulf. I'm going to tell a story of it, and then I'm going to go through the symbols in it that are significant, then talk about the procedures in it, what we can mine utility-wise from it, and also its significance in terms of our value set and our value hierarchy. Please do comment. It helps us in the algorithm. So many thanks for that. Join the website. I'm also going to put the Discord below here in the link, so join that as well, and let's get the conversation going. So we begin with Bill, who's a young warrior. He's testing his feats in swimming with another warrior. Basically, we're showing that he's an excellent, excellent swimmer. And note that for later. Uh, and then comes back after swimming for six days, and the person that he's fighting against can't ever beat him in it. And he goes back to the homeland of the Geats. In this place, Beowulf is, is a, a youngling in the sense that he's not achieved anything, but no one thinks anything of him. He's low in the hierarchy in the corner of the room. And um, people tell the story of the scaling, the Swedes across the sea, of their places being haunted by this demon monster, how their kingdom has come to basically to ruin. And this story has been told in the hall with the king. And no one steps forward to say anything, but suddenly Beowulf does and says, I'll go. I'll go here to help the Scaldings and the king of the Scaldings and against this demon that has haunted his realm. And so off they go onto the sea and sail across. And then they eventually reach the place and they're greeted by a spearman. And that spearman leads him to this golden hall. And everyone there is sort of downtrodden. They're talking about this beast and what they're going to do to defeat it because it's been slaughtering people and they're all afraid. And Beowulf comes out with his men uh, and other people too that, that have heard of this quest. And they're all in the hall. And Beowulf steps forward and says, I'll do it. I'll, I'll face down this demon. I'll fight it. And then this person called Unfriend, who's been the king's advisor, the king's smith, uh, says, oh, will you? You know, we've, we've, this creature is dangerous. We've fought it. What makes you think you know? You'll fight it, will you? It's the truth of the smith and the weapons of the smith is trusted by this king. So a note in that for later too. Anyway, Beowulf gives him this hug, which sort of basically insults him in front of everyone else. And then he says, I'll go with you then. To, I'll, I'll face, I will help you face this, this demon as well. Beowulf says that I won't use a sword to face this creature. I'm its, I'm its match. I'll face it with my hands. And, and I'll put a little post-it note on that too, because it's significant. They're all in the hall and they go to sleep for the night. And then comes creeping down from the roof is Grendel, this dark creature, is hungry for flesh. The description is vivid, like the devil is in this thing, the evil is in this thing. Sinewy and flesh and sort of half beast. And then it leaps forth and starts tearing people, tearing arms asunder and feasting on their flesh. And, they, and then one of the men who, who'd come there to face the creature leaps up with his spear and it grabs his spear and snaps it in pieces and rips him to pieces and put. it's described as putting it all in this little pouch, right, to take off to eat him. So it's just horrible what's going on. It's horrifying, especially think about it, like it dices up someone, rips him to pieces and puts him into a bag like a like a like livestock then beowulf goes to meet this creature with his hands and grapples with him with his mighty strength and is able to hold it back and this creature is just not has not faced this sort of power before uh the beowulf is leveled against him because the other soldiers are all trying with swords and spears to get at this thing and it easily snaps away these weapons but it's beowulf with his bare humanity, with his bare hands, that can he grapple with this thing? And so he's able to fight it off and then rips its arm off and it like lets out a roar of pain, of a shriveling, shrieking pain, and flees and the blood, the dark blood, sort of think about it like acidically melting the floor. And so the next morning comes and he's greatly celebrated. 
for defeating this creature, even though lots of warriors have died and it's a massacre. And they start talking about how they are to face this thing. Beowulf says, I will hunt it down in its chamber. Does anyone here know where this creature hides? The king says, ah, oh, my man here, my, which he always trusts, this unfriend, this, this smith of his. Oh, what do you think? And he says, oh, it's probably going to die and bleed out anyway. That We don't need to do anything further. Turns to Beowulf and says, well, here's the champion who defeated this creature. Why, let's ask him. As Beowulf says, well, I think we should track this thing back to its chamber. Untrend says, I'll take you to it. I'll guide you to where this cavern is. And then the king gives Beowulf some armor. And also he's given this sword from Unfriend, who says, oh, this will, will, will defeat this creature. Beowulf thanks him for this weapon that he smithed. Note on that later. And Beowulf and Unfriend end up at the top of this um, cliff. The cavern is through the water. They have to go into the water, to, sort of under the water to get to it. Uh, he says, okay, I'll tie a rope to myself and you, when I tug on the rope, you help pull me up and I'll need it to get back to the top. And this thing is really disturbed. This water's very dark. It's not, don't tr think about any of this like uh, folk, like like fantasy folk tale, like this is nicey-nicey. Think Ragnarok darkness, think bleak, that kind of mood that's in The Witcher. And so he dives into the water and all these little minor demons that start attacking him, biting him, he's fighting them off, They're getting pulled down deep into the water. And then there's also this, and suddenly this darkness, this dark witch creature is all around him and pulls him deeper into the water, down, down, down into the cavern. He comes to in this witch creature, which is, this is Grendel's mother. And immediately she's on him and he is trying to fight her off. He takes the sword that he was given by Unfriend and thrusts it out to slash at this creature and think this creature's far darker than the Grendel was itself. This is the witch incarnate. And so he slashes it, bang, and hits into the neck and shatters this weapon that he was given. He's pushed down on the floor and so she's almost got the best of them and he's able to just escape to get to get her off him. And uh, he's backed against this wall and notices on the side of the, notices against the wall is this sort of ancient blade because it's like a horde of we weapons and stuff. Uh, of old things, ancient things, old artifacts, right, are in this cavern. And so she leaps at him and he's ba barely able to fight her off. She's about to kill him. And then he reaches down and grabs this sword, slashes it at her. And this time it bites into her flesh, kills her and decapitates her. And Beowulf is, is left there with this, this horror on the ground that's sort of disintegrating. He drops the sword and a light appears from the sword and illuminates this doorway within the cavern. And so he picks up the sword again and walks into this doorway. He goes inside and it's full of gold. And in the corner of the room is Grendel. Looks like it's still alive and its red eyes are glowing. And Beowulf goes over towards it, chops its head off too. And then the, the shine from the eyes goes of that Grendel. But also the shine from the sword disappears. And so he looks around as all this gold, he takes it all with him and takes the head of the demon that he's killed, Grendel. When he leaves, the giant sword, this sword from the nether realm, melts away. He only has the hilt left of it. And so he's swimming then with all the gold and stuff and it's so heavy trying to get up into the... He's pulling on the rope and then we sort of cut to up to where Unfriend is. I don't think he's coming back. And so what he decides to do, Unfriend, is untie the rope and let it drop into the water. He said, well, if he has killed the creature, then no one will know and he's dead anyway. 
And so he goes back to the Skildings, goes back to the Golden Hall. Back, we don't know whether Beowulf's is dead or alive. Tells his story to the Skildings king. Unfriend does that he passed away, but the creature's definitely dead. We don't have to worry about it. Now, it's a shame. Oh, it's a blimmin' shame. He was a brave lad. Like, you know, like Roland Prince of Thieves. So then suddenly, the doors burst open and Beowulf's there with the head of the creature. It says, ah, Unfriend, you betrayed me by leaving and untying the rope you won't help her your sword broke into nothing and almost had me killed but here's the creature that i defeated here is the head of grendel and he's greatly celebrated it you know that he's defeated this thing and he's mightily rewarded but not before he grabs you grabs unfriend and you'd think he'd kill him here but he doesn't he just gives him a mighty beating and completely embarrasses him so he's completely removed from the hierarchy the next day uh, is greatly celebrated and they completely reorder everything. Everything's brought back to its shining golden hall. The tables are put back into place. Everything's fixed by builders, right? The builders, significant there. The society is brought back to its pristine shine. And then we get to final advice from this king of the Scaldings to Beowulf. And oh, you're a mighty warrior. You'll have a, you know, you have men under you and he gives him men actually to go with him you know make sure that you are always the ring giver and don't always try to keep these treasures to yourself because in the end it's worth nothing in the end it's all dust the ring giver the the lord let's say his meaning is generated by the people under him and it's only generated when you give things to them and bring them into a mighty sort of hierarchy. And everyone should do this, I think, as a practice. You should have one group that you're, that you're managing, that you're the, the head of the hierarchy of, so you understand how it works. And that's possible for every human on Earth, I think, because you can be a member of multiple groups. So I think that's a good practice if you can find a way. You don't need to be the head of every hierarchy. You don't need to be the alpha on every hierarchy. In fact, you should be in some groups where you're not the alpha. So you are learning from people that are, you know, so that's a good procedure you can take from this story. But anyway, fact is, he gives him this advice and says that you, the stuff that you hoard, the gold that you hoard to yourself becomes meaningless to you when it's all kept to you. The valuation of everything that makes something valuable is in the hierarchy itself. So there's a natural responsibility from the top to, to the other people in the hierarchy a love and so anyway after that so he's with his gold and he takes the men with him and goes back to his homeland tells a story to his king and the king says to him congratulations you know no one expected you you of, of all the people who i took into my care right i brought in and gave you a ring okay no one thought you'd be successful at all and other people who people thought were mightier didn't speak up but you actually proved to be the most mighty for what you've done and then the story goes on but the old king dies and he takes he becomes the king himself beowulf it's like a cycle and they're mighty and wealthy and he grows into old age and in his old age a dragon has come to the realm and beowulf even though he's old and gray now says i'll defeat this creature on my own I'll, just like he did last time and so he rushes in to face this dragon and it takes a great gnash out of his arm like a mortal wound and suddenly his men then rush to his help even though he says not to do it uh, if they'd faced it together, perhaps they would be able to kill it. But then, then because of their help, he's able to kill the dragon. And then uh, some of the men are killed as well because of this. The dragon's dead, but then so is a dying Beowulf, uh, and he passes away. And so then we move on after that, and they create this mighty mound and bury him in a place where, by the coast, where everyone can always see as people <clears throat> go by on their ships and see, like a beacon almost, right? A burial mound, an endless reminder of Beowulf. 
this Greek king that did this great feat and died. Firstly, let's let's look at the metaphor of this giant's blade. After he kills the witch, chops its head off, defeats the dragon, let's say, shines a light on where the gold is. When you defeat the dragon, it's where the gold is. But the sword to defeat the dragon is not the thing you brought with you. It has to be found in the unknown itself. You get it from the dragon. The potential that's in the unknown is the only thing that can be used to actually defeat the unknown as a category. It's like an eternal category. It leads him to the gold, and then he chops off the head of the other creature, the old demon, and then the light disappears from the blade. That shows you that the blade that you found in the unknown is only useful to defeat the dragon that emerged that sent you on the quest in the first place. Think about it. For any unknown that appears that you're trying to solve with a problem, only works for that thing. And so the same here, the light turns off the sword, when, and then when he swims up into the thing, the sword, it dissolves. Once you leave the unknown, you've solved that problem. But it's not useful for more unknowns as they come. It can't defeat new unknowns as a category. And he takes the hilt back with him, and that even tells you that, like we do, is that we can use old knowledges and exact them together to fight unknowns. The problem, I don't have this magical sword that always works, but it can be exapted and reforged. And exaptation is when you take two different things that were not used for some other function and you bring them together and that kills it. That's looking in the unknown because you're re-examining an object and objects aren't ever fully known by, by us. They're always constantly moving away. Like your finger, you don't have every aspect of its movement. You can only look at one one element, grasp one element of it at, at a certain period of time. Okay, I know it at that size, I know it at this size. You don't have all sizes of the object in your cognition grasp at the same time, do you? Same thing, that's how we exact things. We go, we look at this object, we analyze it and exact it for another use. The hilt of the sword, reforged with something else, is useful for a new unknown. He's given a guard by the skildings, gave him a piece of armor, and that saves him when the witch slashes at him. The knowledge of your culture will protect you, but it won't. it's not enough to defeat the dragon, to kill it. An unknown is an unknown. The culture doesn't have the knowledge to deal with it, but you bring the knowledge what you do have with you, which you need something new to add to it to, to create a sword and kill. Some other significant things are this unfriend was the advisor to the king. All his advice was terrible, was, was, was a lie. We do, we smith things, we forge meaning using the logos when we categorize things out of the vo void we see a phenomena categorize it that's forging and the sword that he forges for beowulf fails the sword the, the sword of lies failed physical things fail when lies are pursued when lies are told is there a lie about a bridge i was unqualified to build this engineering bridge the bridge fails right so it's an important reminder that a lie does not just affect uh, the metasphere or the social world, it literally affects things in reality, like a failed sword. That's what the symbol means. It's saying that that's how dangerous it is to to have liars and to rely on liars as misforges. This sword that melts away is reforged by the unfriend into a new blade. So the reformed liar it's significant that he's he's but he's been, let him survive. It's like reforming the society as well. It's saying you've all learned this this lesson that unfriend too to kill him would be sort of brutal. It's like a petty revenge. It's like no, it's a moral 
revenge. It's no, we've reformed it morally, so everyone sees you as a reminder, and you reform yourself. And there's some truth to this. It's like when you discover them and you make your enemies your actual allies, they actually are more loyal because they're endlessly trying to prove themselves to you because you know what they're up to, right? Or you know what they are capable of doing. And so it's significant that he brings this guy in. You can see that in also Caesar when he defeats, when Roman Empire defeated nations, bring them into the empire. The fact that the man is the great hero, is excellent at swimming, is a great symbol for, before the quest, you could say, it's wise to be good at going out into the unknown. So a practice like, like that kind of is, improv is kind of like that. If you do improv, you are constantly put into a situation where you don't know what you're going to say. You never lose the nervousness but your willingness to do it becomes a training in of itself. And um, because social embarrassment is quite a large unknown, it's a huge unknown for us because we used to be tribe. If you stuffed up your social reputation, suddenly you're not eating. Suddenly you're kicked out of the tribe. And it's not no surprise that the guy that's good at swimming and that's in the story for a reason <laughs> has to swim go diving into this dark pool to get to this creature. Be good at swimming. Be good at going out into the unknown. The person that's the best of that is the Dragon Slayer. And it's also very significant too with the Dragon Slayer itself is that in this cosmos, in this cosmology, the greatest prince was a Dragon Slayer. And so's Beowulf, of course, right? So it's no surprise. It's not just because it was a random Christian patron that St. George was chosen here. The reason why is because that was a value already here. Also significant is that he grapples with the creature. He doesn't want to use a sword to begin with. All the other people that try to attack Grendel die because they use these weapons, which is like dead culture, right? He's able to defeat it and rip its arm off. And that's really kind of like an eternal category as well of what is Logos in man, raw man. The human is the solution to the dragon. And it's also significant that they, it's said in it that so bitter is the blood of the dragon, the sword itself dissolves. The first sword that he takes in of unfriend and that also tells us too is that so bitter is the blood of the dragon is that it's endless so bitter is this blood it dissolves anything you need to constantly go into it to get the new thing the new sword to face the new creature and i don't know if i talked about before but you know a dragon of course has wings has feet and it's like a snake so it can swim it's an air creature it's a water creature and it's a land creature the sword is not the gold itself the procedure that you enact is not the gold itself, right? It gets you the gold. You bring, so you bring that procedure, whatever it might be, a new way to start a fire. This procedure that defeats an unknown, say the unknown is whatever, cold, the ice age is coming. The gold is the utility you get from it, the reward, the things you need uh, in your society, like whatever, starting a fire gives you warmth or whatnot to, to solve this problem. The solving of the problem back in the society is the gold. So you take the gold back with you. Also, the fact that the light goes out once he solves the problem, it won't reveal new gold other than the gold of that one defeated dragon. The light's gone out. It doesn't work anymore. It only, only gets that gold for that problem. And so significant too, when I mentioned, remember, the benches being reordered, everything is renewed, right? Order has been restored. To the dragon that emerges his soul and they purge the dragon from the place with the new knowledge the demon is coming at the place so it tells you that it can always appear within and also linking that to the smith the false smith almost can kind of cause that it's because when these bad things happen they're the worst people 
because they lead people astray and actually cause people to get killed. And you can see that in the culture, right? If we're telling movies and we have these false things, these Mary Sue situations, you have even having women as, as, as sort of superheroes beating up people, you can see in videos is that on street fights, women are suddenly punching people and then they're getting knocked out by thugs. It's like they think because they've seen these superhero movies that they're just as strong as men somehow or something like that. And uh, it's dangerous. It, it's a representation of, and you lie to people about what's going to fulfill them in life for telling women they have to be engineers and not have children and they, they lead and they might have a problem and have lead terrible lives sure there's a great there's a percentage of women that want to do that let's say like 10 percent uh have those uh traits that it's perfect for them but for the rest of the people that are sort of propagandized that they should do that above all else or have a career then they're desperately unhappy same sort of thing if you're projecting that in movies the falsity is dangerous it, create the, it, it kills people, just like this forger kills people, this misforger. It's misforging, it's mistruth. So when dragons appear, they can't be fought because you can't fight a dragon with a, a shit blade, with a blade that is not fit for purpose because it's a lie blade, it's a blade of lies. The brilliance of this is that it's a living example of the Ragnarok life cycle in the sense that the dragon that he kills as a youth, that's the dragon that ends up killing you die from another dragon in the end is that it's always coming for you but this is a physical real thing it's like showing the mythology and the life cycle on the earth it's a symbol for what you face in your life it's we all go through it's always going towards this ragnarok you know how mighty you are the monsters themselves in the translation that they are knocked of god whereas in the greek tradition monsters are or or becometh becoming of of the gods in the iliad if if when the cyclops is killed it insults poseidon the gods aren't necessarily with him the gods can go against them so the anglo-saxon gods are we're all doomed together and that's powerful when you're fighting a war the gods are more humanless the gods are with us we're all we're being recruited to fight towards the end which is ragnarok into valhalla greek gods are not the allies of people they just pick individuals for their different whims now, you might say that Greek gods are sort of anthropomorphized, but no, they're actually not human, though. They live forever. Nothing kills them. Their war's over in the Greek in the Greek Hellenistic. So I know I see people talking about, oh, Chad, Hellenistic. No, like this is far more Chad in the sense that it's, it would crush Hellenistics. Reveals to us the power of it over these other cosmologies, even relevant to now. When you take the gods away, it still exists because the monsters are still there in the world. They always explain them. That's almost an impenetrable logic, if you think about it, is that you're not going to question that, are you? Because, no, the monsters are a natural order of things. So all the calamities that happen to a society, that's the monster. The solution to the problem of, of them putting the monster in the middle is raw martial will as an end of, in of itself, as an end. And what I mean by that is that the end isn't salvation in heaven with God. The idea of Valhalla is not heaven. It's just recruitment for the final battle. The reason why people are willing to do it, like you say, well, where does this raw will come from, this raw will and courage? Because the final reward in that cosmology is being recruited for the final battle. And that's at the top of the hierarchy. So of course you're impelled to do it. It's been the highest value and the stories you're imitating that are in your culture, people that came before you, because that's the afterlife battle, which is a loss, which is a loss. So, of course, if you're in a situation, you go, I'll fight in a loss because that's the highest good to do this. And that's how values sort of work. They bottom up and tell you the thing that makes you, that you desire that gives you the loft, which is 
honor and reputation is imitating the things in the cosmology. Raw will and courage as an end, not for the reward. The reward is the martial raw courage, because that's what happens at the end of the universe, right? That's why it's so powerful. This is one piece of an emergent thing, which is England, this, this idea. And to say that, oh, we don't have the Christian value in there. Let's go back to this sort of paganism. And say, no, it's an important part of it. It's, it's, it's these values meld together to create something new. But it's also Christianity is a universal. The cosmos of Christianity is cosmopolitan. It allow, these other values allow us to be grounded and have our own unique thing and fight for it and for our own uh, people. Still, the outsider has a soul and is valuable. Yet, there's this thing that is us. Beowulf, when he gets back to this old hierarchy, they ask him what his name is. And he says, oh, my name used to be Beowulf, and that's still good enough for me. And so what that tells you is that a being is, is a thing over time. That's not your true, there is no true self. You individuate yourself, you build yourself. Being is a thing. You're like, you're like a fuse, you're like through time. And uh, you're not this static thing. When the Geetish king says to um, Beowulf, I never expected this of you, this tells us you can use it as a sort of symbol. In life, you start off, you have a group from school, right? If you just stay in that one thing, you sort of have a established position in the hierarchy. But like Beowulf, everyone thought that he, it wasn't possible for him to achieve this. He has to go outside of it, into the water, into other groups, into other places, outside the kingdom that he's in. It makes sense utility-wise because you have a certain limiting beliefs of what you are, what you can do based on their judgments of you. You should go out and phoenix because sometimes you just get, there's judgments that are put upon you. You can't really escape that. Form new groups, go to new places, create yourself with virtue. You build yourself into an individual. Your true self isn't with it, like isn't within. It's like the divine double. It's the angel that you move towards. And you do that best by leaving the hierarchies like Beowulf does, leave the kingdom, form other groups. You can come back to it, of course. Make sure you go outside of it to establish new reputations, new skills where people don't have judgments of you, where you can go into a situation that you might not think you're funny. Leave a group, go to an improv class, start new friends, and you will have skills you don't realize you have, right? Build it with virtue. Anything can be learned. And you'll realize that, holy shit, these judgments are, were all just limiting and that you can build yourself into anything you want. And that also tells you too, like say you're insulted or whatever by those, I don't know, some prior group that you used to have had you at this this level down in the hierarchy. You don't, once you've had victories, you don't care about that anymore. So it's important not to go back there and hold it against those people because they'll treat you with, oh, you know, you'll be a king to them. You'll be a king to those people. Unless they really tortured you, then <laughs> I suppose you can, you know, rub it in a bit and like, we're not all perfect. But you don't care anyway. Like usually when you've really achieved something and you're confident in it, those old people that used to, you used to know that might have treated you badly or whatever, it's like they're just irrelevant to you. So do like that. Do, do what Beowulf does. Leave those groups. Phoenix. Build yourself anew. Go to another kingdom, wherever that may be. Use that as a metaphor. Could be just another group. Could be another city. Peterson talks about that as well. I think he's talked about phoenixing. Like, you might have stuffed up something in a certain group or whatever, and it gave you a certain bad reputation. Go, I know it's hard to phoenix these days, right, with social media. Go phoenix somewhere else. Like, burn the ashes away. Burn away the bad stuff of you, but also go somewhere new where you can establish a new reputation based on your current virtue, not your mistakes of the past. So I would just say, I was like, dare greatly to believe in that. Dare greatly to believe in your potential, even though people tell you that you can't do it. 
remember too that you can join as a member there's exclusive content on the greenwood.media website link in the description to the discord link in the description and to my twitter link in the description as well but yes please do become a member on greenwood and support this project and be a part of explicating this culture be a part of reinvigorating it and redefining the values that are under it that are underneath it that's the important part of this project really as a you could consider this the department of morale for the culture war that's what this is all about